Have you ever felt hungry to know Jesus? Hi, and welcome to Magnify, an LDS Living podcast where we talk about using our influence as followers of Jesus Christ to make a difference in the world. I'm your host, Katherine Davis, a mom, a seminary teacher, and a Traeger enthusiast who loves God. Knowing the Savior and really understanding who He is is more than knowing about His life on earth and His work. When we truly come to know Jesus Christ as not just a figure, but as a friend, we are changed. A few months ago, Lizzie Jensen shared that she felt a hunger to get to know the Savior. In fact, she wrote, I want to know Him. I want to have a closer relationship with Him. I want to think like Him and act like Him. She decided to study the Savior in a way that would foster a closer relationship with Him. She calls it Savior Sunday Studies. We were inspired by her idea to become friends with Jesus Christ, to truly know Him and not just know about Him. And so we are so excited that Lizzie is here to talk with us today. Lizzie, thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, Lizzie, we love to throw some rapid fire questions at our guests as a way to get to know them. Can I throw a couple questions at you? Yes. Okay. Number one, you love to go on adventures with your family. What is your number one tip for taking kids on excursions and adventures? Ooh, wasn't expecting this one. Okay. I would probably say it's all about your mindset. Don't even call it a vacation. Call it an adventure. If you think it's going to be a vacation and you have like close to five kids like me or one kid, you're, you're probably going to be disappointed. <laughs> but if you see it as an adventure and you think about the day ahead as an adventure, you won't be disappointed. And everything adds to the whole experience, whether it's a, a missed flight, which hopefully doesn't happen too often, or the funny person that you meet or something being canceled. And then you happen upon another plan. Like it just makes it fun. And almost a little bit out of your control, which isn't a bad thing when you're experiencing something together as a family. Okay. That's such good advice. I've never even thought of that. Like such a simple, easy mind switch, an adventure, not a vacation. Love it. Okay. What is something you're most looking forward to right now? I actually, so every Sunday I do a Sunday planning session and I do like what I'm excited about, biggest opportunities, what I want to be known for and what I'm most proud or grateful for. So I actually write down every week what I'm excited about and I had to pause because there's like, do so, you really? I do. And I love it. And it's a really amazing practice. A friend shared with me two years ago in 2020 and I haven't I've maybe missed two weeks of doing this practice and journaling. And honestly, there's like so much I'm excited about. I don't even know where to start. Obviously the holidays coming up, there's so much to be excited about. I always do some fun goal setting for the new year. I'm making a big shift in some of my business stuff, everything. Life is exciting, but that, that weekly practice really brings it all to the forefront. So a lot. So you've been doing that every week for two years, Yeah, like writing what you're excited about, excited opportunities, grateful for and what I want to be known or remembered for. What have you noticed the most as you've done this? Like what have been some of the changes in your life? Well, I actually start with a page of journaling before, and that has been uh -huh. super powerful. Just seeing what comes to mind when you're just, I just kind of do a free write. Like here's the main things that happened. And then I usually realize I'm stuck at one point. Like I need to write more about it or think more about it. So that's been a really good practice, just recognizing where I may have some like stuck emotions or feelings or things I needed to process or something that was really meaningful and impactful for me that maybe I didn't even really realize. 
because I just didn't focus on it. Life just moves so fast. Yeah. So that's been huge. And then that list of four, I think it just keeps you seeing from a higher vantage point, kind of getting on top of the trees instead of bushwhacking at the bottom, which sometimes motherhood business can feel like. Right. It keeps you with that 30,000 foot elevation view, like looking down and wow, this is the big picture of where my life's going. This is where I'm a little out of whack. That was not maybe how I would have wanted, you know, it just keeps me guided from where I'd actually probably rather be than those day-to-day minutia that can kind of make you feel stuck sometimes. Okay. I love that. I'm going to try that. Yeah. My final question for you is I know you have two daughters who are mono mono twins. Yes. And have you ever seen moments of twin telepathy or anything like that? That's so funny. Totally. And like from a young age, I could pull up family videos of the two of them. And people say this, like the twin talk where they'd be in their cribs together and they'd come together and clearly are just like blabbering. It makes no sense. And they would sit and laugh their heads off at each other. And they, (laughs) they still do it. Like, obviously they can talk now they're nine years old, but sometimes we just kind of watch them. Like nobody knows what's going on on besides the two of you, but you think it's hilarious or you just really understand each other. It's it's actually really sweet, that twin connection. I love that. So I really want to talk with you today. You've started a personal journey that you've invited others to go on with you and you call it the Savior Sunday Studies. (laughs) And you have shared that you're hungry to know Jesus. And then you wrote, I don't want to know about him or what he did. I want to know him. I want to feel like he's my friend and I'm his friend. I want to ask a couple questions about why you wrote this and what you've been learning through your Sunday studies. But what inspired you, first of all, to feel like this, like to feel hungry to know the Savior? I don't think it was just one thing. Like, I think this has been, I mean, we talk about Jesus calling. And I think he's been calling throughout my whole life. I can think of different times throughout my life where that hunger has been more intense and more obvious and maybe even more real. But most of those times in the past, I think really were led by something hard I was going through where you mentioned my twins. I was in the hospital with them and we didn't know if they were going to make it. And being in a state where you have really no control in your life, a lot of people, I think, turn to religion, turn to the savior, turn to God at times like that. There's that, what is that quote? Right. Like there's no atheists in the foxholes, but the last two years, really it's been different. And I'm like hunger is kind of the only word I can use. And I don't even really know if it's just me, probably it's just him calling me, or maybe I'm just hearing it for different reasons, but it's like, it's not enough to just study. I don't want to just study his life or study who he was or, you know, thinking, talking in past tense and what happened before, you know, and thinking through this, there was a talk that was in general conference in 2020. And there were a couple things that were said in that conference that I remember kind of igniting a little spark. And it was called Becoming Like Him by Elder Scott D. Whiting. And there were two quotes. And I remember they just kind of stood out when I heard them. And then when I went and read, I was like, I've never heard these. They were both from the same book. And they sounded like Elder Maxwell quotes, where they were just so well said. Okay. And they hit your heart in a way that you're just like, ah, the way he put that, you know, it just, it just resonates. The words they use. Yes. Something special, but it wasn't. It was from this minister named Charles Sheldon. And this was the first one. He said, our Christianity loves its ease and comfort too well 
to take up anything so rough and heavy as a cross. And I was like, oh, that one hits you in the gut. Like, that's one of those, like, it's true. Like, we like to be comfortable. I think right. a lot of our prayers and prayers of our kids are like, help me to have fun. Help me to be happy. We love comfort. We like to feel like it's hot enough or cold enough or we have enough food and it's the right temperature. And like, it's funny that it kind of consumes us being comfortable. And the second quote is a little bit long. It has a similar feel. It says, if our definition of being a Christian is simply to enjoy the privileges of worship, be generous at no expense to ourselves, have a good, easy time surrounded by pleasant friends and by comfortable things, live respectably, and at the same time, avoid the world's great stress of sin and trouble because it's too much pain to bear it. If this is our definition of Christianity, surely we are a long way from following in the steps of him who trod the way with groans and tears and sobs of anguish for a lost humanity, who sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, who cried out in the upreared cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I read these two quotes and I was like, what is this book? And why have I never heard of it? Again, it's Charles Sheldon. The book is called In His Steps. So I looked it up. It was written in the early 1900s. It's one of the most Uh published, translated books of all time. But when he wrote the book, he wanted it to spread as far and wide as possible. So he never copyrighted the book. So even now, if you go look on Amazon, there's a few different versions. You'll find some typos. But it's this gem classic. It's about this man who was a pastor. And at the beginning of the book, this man comes, this beggar comes to town. And it's set kind of in the 1900 towns where there were the railroads and the boxing matches and the newspapers. And this man comes and he knocks the doors of all these people in the town and kind of nobody helps him. He's really not met with much. The same with the pastor. When the man comes and knocks at the door, the pastor is in the middle of writing a sermon about Jesus Christ and just doesn't have time for him. The first chapter of the book, the man comes into the sermon then that Sunday and he says, who are you Christians? And why, why did no one open their door to me or respond to me? And then he dies. And it's this big dramatic scene. And from this action, the pastor realizes like, are we really becoming like Christ? And they take this vow, a few, probably 20 in the congregation that for one year, they'll take the vow to do what, to ask the question in all situations, what would Jesus do? And they all take the vow and they hold each other accountable throughout the year. And then it follows the journey of all these different people, a wealthy philanthropist, someone who owns the newspaper, a woman with a beautiful voice. And what that question spurs in them, that really introspective question, what would Jesus do in my exact situation? So I read the book. I have this little gold bracelet made that says, what would Jesus do? And by the way, that's where that phrase comes from. That's in hats and t-shirts and bracelets. What would Jesus do comes from this book. From this book. Yeah. And I think it kind of started there and then has spun into a few things over the last two years of, like you said, this journey that I'm doing poorly and making lots of mistakes. And it's, it's my quest, you know? So I I think it's really interesting. And I love that you use that word hunger, right? That you are hungry to get to know the savior as a friend. And I think the times where we really are hungry is when there's a lack. Like I haven't eaten in a while. On fast Sunday, I'm really hungry because I haven't been eating. And so I think that when you use that 
phrase, like you were hungry to get to know the Savior, I think it implies that there was something lacking. What was that lack for you in your relationship with Jesus Christ that started you on this quest? I think part, I mean, I like that this time around, it wasn't because I had some huge trial. It wasn't like life is actually going really well for our family and our kids. And it was more kind of at a place where there was a bit of a lull of trials of really hard things. So it's actually a little bit ironic, even when you ask the question, like, what was the thing? And I, I don't know. I think about Jesus calling each of us. I think about the specific times when he called people in the scriptures. I don't know. I, I, I maybe it really is that he's huh. calling all of us. And that when we hear that call, when we feel him, maybe when we see the lack in our own life of where we come up short and when we're impatient or unkind or whatever it is, or just don't act on impressions, we feel this hunger to say, gosh, I just, how did he do it? How did he consistently do it? Serve and give and love and turn the other cheek. And, And I think that really is the hunger is feeling this higher, holier way he just lived by different rules. He did it so differently than the world says. And for me, it's this hunger of saying like, I want to get there. And not just because I feel ashamed or I feel like I fall short and I feel bad. Like, sure. Those feelings come too, but really like his teachings live on, not just in Christianity, but in the world, because he flipped the script of the Roman empire and of really how people just naturally think of looking out for the man and putting yourself first. And he flipped the whole script. And then he said, that's how you find joy. If you want a really full life, you don't need a thing. You don't need to purchase anything. You just follow me and you give your life for others and just watch the joy that's going to come. And it's the message itself, like talking outside of religious context, it's so intriguing to think that it works because we don't play by those rules so often that I think some of the hunger is just like, I want to live that free. I want to live where I would give literally the coat off my back, not say, oh man, look, a lot of these people don't have coats. I should organize a coat drive. And what's a big thing I could do? Just like take off my coat the minute I see the need and trust another one's coming. Like that, you know, in pop culture, I think it's more and more, we hear these phrases like the law of abundance and don't think scarcity and see what will come to you if you give. But I think that's who Jesus really was. And he came down with that message from God to say, there's a better way. There's such a better way. And I think part of that hunger is like, I want to live that way right now. See, I think that's so powerful, especially in a world where I think it's really easy to be apathetic. And I think we have to fight through that apathy every day and to realize, I love how you said that heaven is calling us for a higher and a holier way and to live a holier way. And if we listen, if we tap into that, then that hunger, I think, can begin to fill us to live that higher and holier way to push aside the apathy. Yep. And and maybe even with apathy, there's also then all the distraction. Like I think your comment of being still the past 10 years, my journey of study and having time in the morning and making time to hear God, that probably is the first step. Being still enough to not be distracted, to not be apathetic and really listen for that call. Cause I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not special. I'm not the only one Jesus is calling to, and I'm not the only one with that hunger or the lack in my life. I think any of us who are on this journey, it's there. He's there. He's calling and saying, I've got something better, you know? 
I love that thought. How many of us is he calling to right now? All of us to say, come and live this higher and holier way. And I love this idea that there are so many different roles and titles of the Savior. You mentioned that you specifically wanted to be his friend. So what is it about his title or that role of friend that spurred on this idea of a personal relationship with him? Why friend? I think in the past, when I think about Jesus Christ, there's been a lot of teaching about him being our savior and our king and how unworthy we are and how far from him we are, which I still wholeheartedly believe. And I maybe believe more than ever trying to follow more closely in his steps. I think I realize how far I am, but I think I was really like even the term, like he's my brother or he's my friend was even taught. Like you shouldn't think that you shouldn't talk about that. Like that doesn't show enough respect because he's a God, you know? Yeah. But I think just over the past few years, thinking about how he interacted with his disciples, thinking about who he is, thinking about who the perfect man would be and what he would feel like and look like. And again, that call, I think, from him has just felt like, no, I I want to be close to you. And not just when you're struggling and not just Mm. when you're having a hard time and you need me, but like, It's just, it's really magical when you find those friendships and they just like you, you know, they're like, they just want to be around you, even though you're kind of weird and you have things where you make mistakes and you're not a perfect friend. But like when you really find a friend that just likes you, I don't know if there's anything more magical in this life than really great friendship. And I I don't know, the more I study about him and learn about him, I think he has to want to be around us. It wasn't an impersonal sacrifice up on that cross. He, he's the way he acted in the New Testament. And when we read personal accounts of his life, he liked people. He wept with them and he got down on the ground and he was there with the little children. And that's who he is. And so if I think if we always say, but I couldn't call him a friend, I don't know. Is that what he would really want? Obviously not saying we're on his level or we're definitely we're not worthy, but that's part of the magic of it. It's a friendship we're not deserving of. We try and we want to do things for him, but we don't really deserve it. And he still wants to be with us. Like that's, I mean, it's amazing. It's humbling. It's exceptional. Right. Like that is, I mean, I think it's in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Savior refers to us as friends more than 25 times. Oh, God, I didn't know that number. Yeah, and so maybe that is something that he is inviting us to become is a friend. Because I think a friendship is an interesting approach to take in getting to know the Savior. Because that implies that it's a two-way relationship. You said, I want to feel like he's my friend and I'm his friend. And so if we're focusing on a friendship with the Savior... What have you done to learn more about him? What have you done to become his friend and for him to be your friend? I mean, I'll just start out by saying, just saying those words is so humbling. Like it moves me to tears to think about. And it almost gives me more awe for him. It's one thing to say he's a God and he suffered for all. It's almost, I can't fathom that. Just my sacrifice for my own kids is about as big as I can think and go. But thinking that someone who loved so perfectly, who sacrificed so perfectly, who likes me too, wants me around, 
that invokes in me so much desire to be better and to serve better and to act on the promptings that feel really scary and big. Cause I'm like, man, he, he, hmm. he accepts me. He wants me around. I'm going to try. And he sacrificed for me knowing that I was going to not do it well. I was going to do it pretty poorly. And he was okay with that. I mean, that's enough to humble me to the core to say, okay, you just tell me I'll keep trying. I'll keep, I'll keep going. And if you're okay with me making a mistake and trying again tomorrow, all right, I'll follow you anywhere. <laughs> right. And how important it is to realize in that friendship that he's never mad or disappointed in us when we fall short. He's not disappointed. I mean, back to that concept of like him calling us to this higher and holier way. I used to think of yeah. that like, oh, and then when I make a mistake, like he's so disappointed and oh, he's got that stern finger in my face. That's like, man, you failed. But no, it's like, I just, I, I, I'm, I see him now saying, I just want you to have the joy I have. Man, you missed it today. I'm so sorry. I had more joy there for you. It's all right. Let's try again tomorrow. He's sad because I, I'm not feeling the joy and happiness he knows I could have if I just followed him. He's not mad at me. He suffered more. He has so much compassion. He gave his life for me. He's not mad at me. But boy, does he want me to reach it because then I get to be with, I get to be his friend. We get to do the work together. He wants that for all of us to be one with him as he's one with God. And so when we, when we don't get to be in the inner circle because of our decisions, not his, I think he's just like, darn it. Right. I had something good for you, but that's all right. Let's try again. There's, there's more tomorrow. Believe me, there's more people to help. So Lizzie, how do you get there? What have you done to strengthen that friendship? with Jesus Christ. So I'm sure for everybody, it looks different and the path is different. And part of that, we don't even control yeah. because it's, you know, that's the trials and it's the difficult things. But really the last two years, I've been more systematic about it. President Nelson had invited us all to study the topical guide and all of the names and the topics surrounding the savior. Can I just, I loved that talk from President Nelson, where in conference, he said, Jesus Christ gave his life also, we could have access to godly power, power sufficient to deal with the burdens, obstacles, and temptations of our day. And then he went on to say, in order to access that godly power, he read and underlined every verse cited about Jesus Christ, like what you were referencing. And then he, he said a statement which took me off guard a little bit. He said, after he did that, he said, I am a different man. It just started running through my mind, like he's a prophet. And if he's different, what would that do for me? If I started to read every verse cited about Jesus Christ. And so I took that challenge and it changed me. It, it changed me and my relationship with him. What, what else have you found has been helpful? So when I first started this Savior Sunday studies, I kind of just threw it out there. I threw it out on my Instagram and was like, I feel this hunger, the, the thing that you quoted and had a lot of people respond back. Like I'm feeling the same hunger. I want to do the same thing. And one of those who responded back was a girl named Mackenzie Rucker, who I've actually worked with before. She's a graphic designer, brilliant, does incredible work. And she said, I would love to help you put this together as like a real packet or something. So other people who were following along can do it too. And you can actually find it on her website. And that's where everything is hosted. We got on and we kind of talked about what would these materials look like? We wanted to provide some worksheets where people could just 
record mm-hmm. what they were learning, recording how they would, were being changed. But then one other thing we talked about is like, if you really want to get to know a person, you spend time with them, you learn about them. And then one of the huge things that stuck out to both of us is you serve them. Obviously with the savior, like, you know, I wish we all lived in his presence all the time, but in the scriptures, it talks about in as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so he said, there has to be some component of service as a part of this. So every week, and I've not done this perfectly, but I've made an effort to do at least one act of service for him, where I feel like I'm serving him. And this kind of went back even to reading that book in the beginning where I felt like, how would I live if I really made the commitment to do everything I was prompted to do and to do what Jesus would do? And how would that impact my life? Along with what you said, studying him and learning about him, yeah. then also trying to act like him. I mean, I have a whole list of, of miracles that have happened when I've just acted. But the funny thing was that first week I make this commitment. I start the Savior Sunday studies and I go into this restaurant, fast, casual place. I'm on a, on a phone call and I look up and I see two men, one younger, one older. I'm not sure the relationship. It looked kind of like a dad with maybe a high school, college age son, but there was something heated was happening. And the son or this kid being mentored, whatever the relationship was, stood up like he was going to go. And then the older man kind of got in his face, like you sit down, but you could feel like love there. Like he was, he was trying, something was happening. There was an experience and this older man was trying to help. And I have this impression, like, go give that kid a hug. (laughs) And I was like, no, I don't want to. He's (laughs) heated. There was just some things there where I was just like, this is too much. I don't want to do this. Right. And I didn't do it. I didn't dare do it. And I didn't. And I was on the phone. I, you know, rationalized like, well, I'm on the phone with this girl and I need to finish this phone call. I mean, bottom line, I definitely could have done it. I don't know what would have happened. And maybe it would have been totally rejected, but I didn't do it. And I walked out and I got in the car and I just felt like really disappointed, but also like really curious, like what would have happened? Why did he want me to hug that kid? What could I have diffused? And like, what part of their story could I have been a part of? If I would have been on his errand, you know, that inner circle, like I could have, who knows? Right. I could have known something or helped or whatever. So a week later or a couple, end of that week, I'm at a BYU football game versus Notre Dame. The fans were amazing. It was like, it was actually so fun. And they're a really religious school and we're a really religious school. And I had some cool interactions, one with a girl in line who just said, I just, I walk around and I just feel like I'm seeing all Notre Dame fans because it just feels so good because I know you're religious. It was just this sweet thing. But in the stands, we were sitting behind this couple and at first they were nice. And then it kind of went south pretty quickly. And the husband started drinking and kept coming back with more and more alcohol. And with every drink, he kind of got more and more loose and kept talking, pointing to my husband and saying really derogatory things about our faith. And it was just, it was just uncomfortable. But after a while, my husband looked at him, he said, you know, it's just, it's not, it's not okay. Like you can say it once joking, but to continue to say derogatory things about my family and about my faith, like it's just not okay. I would never do that to you. And it diffused it and he apologized. Well, a couple minutes later, I have this feeling, go talk to this couple and show them a picture of your family and just express love, but let them know what it feels like from a real human perspective. I was like, oh, why? 
Why are you? I, I don't want to do this one either, but why are all these so hard? <laughs> why are these so hard? And just weird. Like these are kind of weird, you know? Yeah. But I think because I had said no before and, and really regretted it really felt like, I don't know what would have happened. I want to know what's going to happen. So my husband was standing between me and this couple. And so I walked past my husband and I could just see on his face, like, what are you doing? What are you about to do? <laughs> we already cleared the air. But I just kind of tapped them both, the husband and the wife on the shoulder, and I got my phone out and I had a picture of my family and I said, I know you've kind of cleared the air, but I just felt like I should come over and show you our family and show you who we are. And like, we're members of the Church of Jesus Christ and we're real people. Like when people say derogatory things, like my kids hear that and it really impacts us. Like it really isn't kind. I just want you to know, like we're real human beings and we have feelings and we're doing our best to follow Jesus Christ. And maybe I'm the only person of my faith you'll meet. And I want you to meet a real person and I love you. I just felt like I should come tell you that. And they both just like sat there, you know, and the wife (laughs) apologized. And she, she was like, you know, my husband actually has a drinking problem and this is super embarrassing for me. Thank you for saying this. And thank you for being so human. And thank you for this interaction. And the husband again apologized and I went back to my seat and about five, 10 minutes later, she walked back over again and she turned around and she has tears in her eyes. And she said, I just want to say thank you for your example of courage and bravery. You didn't know how we would have reacted. I just have like a lot of respect that you would have come over and said that and just showed up as a real person and showed us love. And I just want to say thank you. And I like shook her hand and I'm like teary too. And, and then she went back to her seat and that was the end of it. And I think about these interactions and I have 10 more I could share where they felt uncomfortable, but little things happened where I could just tell like Jesus's hand is in this. He wants these interactions to happen and they feel uncomfortable and they take acts of faith to open our mouths. But I felt him, you know, like I felt like his friend, like I was on his mission. I was on an errand for him. And This is how we change the world by reaching out in love and authenticity and stepping past our fear. It excites me and I'm still not great at it. And I still do really poorly most of the time, but it's really exciting to live that way where you're open to the adventure of life as a disciple of Christ. Well, you know, that old saying that says you become like the five people you spend the most time with. Yes. And if one of those five people is Jesus Christ, then we can become like him. And just that story that you shared, our interactions with others, are they going to feel more of the love of Jesus Christ because we are hopefully becoming like him? Yes. I I have thought of that same thing of the five people and like, how much time do I spend with the other five people? Am I spending that much time again in service, in prayer, in conversation, in study? Do I really spend that much time with him? Do most of us? It takes more of a concerted effort because he's not right here living in our home, you know, but I, I believe that. I think we will start to reflect his love. I had another experience and it was a silly one. It was a really, actually, most of them are just really small ones, but I was getting on an airplane. It was the end of the week and I really wanted to have some service where I felt like he saw, like I knew it was something where I was serving him and it was like the end of the week and I hadn't really had an opportunity or found or taken an opportunity. And I was flying home with my husband and I was behind this girl 
and she gets stuck and she's trying to put her bag into the cabin and it's clearly too big. And so she starts trying to shove it. And then I start helping her and finally we get it and close the thing. And the stewardess comes over and she's like, Oh, sorry, you actually can't be in that compartment. And so she takes it, we have to yank it back out. And then she's keeps walking down the aisle and she's quite a ways back. And so am I. So she doesn't realize I'm still behind her. So when she goes to put it back up in the cabin in the compartment, I'm right there again. And I'm like, Oh, I can help you. And I, we put it up and get it up and close the compartment. And she turns to me and she goes, you were just my savior today. And just, she, she had just chosen those words. And it was a silly thing. Everybody helps people. If you're tall enough, you know, you're going to help, you know, that that wasn't some grand act of service, but her choosing those words was like Jesus saying back to me, like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're trying to do. I see it. And I just, I reached back over. I was like, that's, it's so ironic. Like I'm actually praying to be more like him right now. And I've been praying for opportunities to find someone to serve. And so that you use those words is just pretty amazing. And she was just stunned. And I was stunned. We kind of like held each other's arm and like the spirit interacted. But I think that there's something that act of service wasn't as unexpected, but you know, going to talk to that couple, or if I would have dared to hug that boy, when you dare to do the thing that feels uncomfortable, I think often it is so out of the blue that people can attribute it to you. When you feel prompted to send an exact amount of money, you've heard those stories like, I was short exactly $100 on my bills, or these things happen that you can't explain them away. Like, why was it that $100? Or why did she make that comment? Because only God could have known what they needed. And I think those are the times when then you can say, Jesus knows you. There's no other way I would have done this thing that was unexpected or kind of weird. If it hadn't been that God knew your situation and knows your heart and knows your need. And I just feel so lucky. And you take yourself out of the picture. Like, I just feel so lucky that I didn't blow that one. And that I didn't say I didn't dare do it, you know, because God obviously cared about you enough today to send someone else. And again, like the higher, holier way. I don't think there's a cooler way to live than being on his errand and being his hand so that people have a real witness of like God is active and alive in his life. And I love that thought of a friendship with Jesus Christ. You mentioned a couple things that you've been working on in order for it to truly be a friendship and not just like a one-way relationship, spending time. And how much time do we literally spend with him every day? And I think that can come in various forms for everybody and service. Those, those two areas, are those the main two things that you are focusing on? Yeah. Spending time and then learning about him again with that, the topical guide study, like his family, learning about his descent, learning about his ancestry, like with really good friends, the longer, you know, him, you're like, I remember you've already told me that story about when you were two. And I remember, oh yeah, your grandma, this and I think that study of the topical guide, you're, you're becoming familiar with who he was. Actually, there was one other thing that has been really impactful back in 2020, very similar prompting with a talk with president Nelson, where he talked about memorizing the living Christ. And right when I ha- I heard him say that, he said, some people aren't familiar and have barely read it. And some people have it memorized. And I had this little thought, like you should memorize it. And I was like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, you know how my brain works. Like I've memorized a lot of scriptures and they don't stick with me at all. That's a big effort to memorize the living Christ. If it's not even going to stick with me, really? Right. You want me to, and then I just have this thought like, well, if I could put it to music, I think I'd memorize it. Like if somehow it were put to music. And so 
I reach out to my mom. Do you know anyone who would put the living Christ to music? And she says, I actually have this friend I went to high school with, Shauna Edwards. She's amazing. She she just writes these really memorable melodies. And I'm like, yeah, of course. I know who Shauna Edwards is. And she's like, I'll, yeah. I'll connect you two. Who knows? Maybe she'd be interested. Literally a couple of days later, I get an, an email from Shauna Edwards. And I'm like, well, she just reaches out about some stuff I'm doing. And I write back, that's so neat. My mom connected us so fast. And like, oh, your mom didn't actually connect us. I was reaching out about this other thing. And I was like, oh man, again, like that synchronicity where you're like, okay, God, your hand is all over this. And so I kind of pitched this idea to her about the living Christ. And she says, ironically enough, I've been memorizing it and working on it as well. And the timing is just really interesting. And I don't even know if I can do it, but let's do it. Let's try. I'll write it. And so she tackles this project and it's on the Living Christ Project. There's a website. You can download all of the sheet music. You can see it, listen to it. I mean, it's like there's flip books. All these artists came together. It's this really beautiful project. And so I memorized the Living Christ and I can still sing all eight sections and my kids can sing it. And really, yeah, you should, you should go look it up. It's just, and they're beautiful melodies where you actually remember them, um, which is tricky with a legal document. How she pulled it off is kind of a miracle. So if you felt inspired to do that, can I ask you what changed for you as you learned the living Christ? What changed in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I think, I think all of it has been that journey, right? Like that was 2020. Mm -hmm. This last year, I have felt like you do a deeper study and invite people to do it with you. And I think it's, it's him. Like I can't, he calls and gives ideas and maybe it's wake up a little earlier and study or do more service or, you know, whatever the, whatever the call is. And all of us are unique and have things that are easier for us and harder for us. And it, it's that feeling of like him knowing me and him caring about me and a greater desire to be like him. That was probably one of the things that led to this, you know, just feeling like, again, he's real. He's a real person who cares about us and not in some cosmic God way, but in a right there in the trenches with you kind of a way. And I think all of these things are changing my perspective of who I am and my identity of my work, of what really matters, the impact I hope to make on the world. It's funny. I had had this, this goes back to the top local guide study, but I have this personal mission statement. I'm Lizzie light and love. That is what I want to be to the world. And as I was studying one of the topics under only begotten son, there was this repeated language when it says only begotten son, it says Jesus Christ of grace and truth. I was like, man, these two words keep getting paired together. What is grace and truth? And what does that mean? And I looked it up and grace is his love and truth is light or knowledge and understanding. And I thought, man, that is who I want to be. I want to spread love, which is sometimes the only way people even know Jesus Christ is when they have that service or they'll see him show up in his life in different ways. And then light is sharing his truth and not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ in a really real way on my Instagram and in a friend's life and not being afraid to talk about Jesus Christ as an answer for things or talking about my faith or religion as an answer to real problems like loneliness and anxiety and identity. And, and it was just, it was really sweet learning that about his titles. He is grace and truth. And then thinking like, that's my mission, like love and light. That's what I want to give to the world. And so everything in learning about him, like it, it, it shapes me. One thing it's even shaped my perspective of who I am as a mother 
and motherhood. A couple of weeks ago, my kids got sick and I couldn't go to work. I work at their school and we usually go together. So I was home, especially with my little three-year-old for a couple of days. And I couldn't study. Like I was just kind of on call. And then I got really sick. And after two days of helping my kids and then being sick, there was just, there was nothing I could do. And that Sunday I got on Instagram and shared the Savior Sunday studies. And I said, you know, I just, I felt so guilty because I couldn't serve and I couldn't study that I felt like I couldn't even really approach him that week because I hadn't done the things I had committed to do. The irony in it is like, if you're not serving when you have sick kids as a mom and when you're sick, and if that's not right? the time he's alongside you, but it, it kind of brought out this thing, like there's still some checklist in me of thinking I can't come to Jesus until I've done these things, but realizing there is so much service that I do as a mother. That's amazing. That's like the most selfless stuff. Like what moms do is so selfless. But if I can flip the script a little and actually consecrate that and say, Jesus, thank you for letting me be your hands as I minister to this child who needs his nose blown and who has a headache and I just hold. And instead of thinking, which it sounds insane, even saying it out loud, thinking somehow that's keeping me from the greater service and love and, and study to say, oh, you're teaching me how to love and you're teaching me how to give. And if in those moments I would have connected with Jesus Christ and thought about him, that would have been some of the most sacred service I've done. And now, you know, it's again, it's, it's a journey and it's a path and I'm learning these things. And I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are just like so silly that I even think, but it's fun. That's why it's a journey and why it's amazing. Cause it's like, oh, I get it. I get to be on it and it's okay. I, you know, those things get pointed out and you realize. And then you, you know, realize and understand a little bit more. But I also think maybe through studying his titles and, and roles and knowing who he is and realizing, I think sometimes we take that upon ourselves that, oh, I, I don't know if I can approach him. I didn't do this well, or I didn't do that well. And and understanding truly who Jesus is, he would never want us to feel that way. Absolutely. Like never would he want to be unapproachable, right? Yep. Lizzie, just with talking with you, I just love this hunger that you have to get to know Jesus Christ. And so in your quest over the last two years, as you've come to know him, what would you say is one of the biggest changes in your heart and in your home and in your life? It's a really beautiful question. Um, and it makes me teary. I think just a level of humility, like it is really humbling that he like he sacrificed for us. And we say it so often that sometimes it loses the meaning of what really happened. And he sacrificed for us because he loves us. You personally, me personally, each one of my kids, my husband, my friends, my enemies, and then the humility that he's okay with me being on his team and working with him even though I'm not perfect like he is, and even though I'm not going to do it perfectly, and he's going to have to take the ashes that I leave behind every day and make beauty for them again and again and again. It's just, it's really humbling. And it makes me just want to sing all the Christmas songs just to come and adore him and say, wow, I am so grateful that you let me do this with you. You're okay with me the way I am being a part of this work with you. It's just, 
it's really beautiful. And then knowing the real gift of repentance, I still mess up with my kids. I still yell. I still do things that I just feel like, gosh, I can't believe I'm still here and probably will be for a long time. And you're okay to let me repent day in, day out. There's not a three strikes you're out policy. There's not a, you've just crossed the line this time. How, how you must be so embarrassed, you know, never, never. That's just really humbling and really beautiful. And it makes me just have more and more desire to be better and, and to invite, like, I just was just felt really honored to be invited on this podcast because I want other people to feel the same thing and, and not like feel this goodness, but like feel that they're enough and feel that they're okay. And not just for them, but enough to do this work too. Like a community of people who feel like we're all in this together and we're all okay that we're not okay. (laughs) And we're not enough. Right. And we're doing this. That's a powerful group and a really fun group. And I've over the last two years met some of the dearest friends who I just feel so grateful that God has brought me to these people because we're kind of doing it together. I don't think there's a better life than this. Beautiful. And to share his light and love and lift. Hopefully we all feel a need and can hear him calling to pick up his mission, to be his hands and to share that light and love. And as we do so, miracles will happen because it's his work. Yep. It's not ours. It's his. Lizzie, one of our goals here at Magnify is to leave the conversation with a small and simple suggestion that we can implement throughout the week. So I want to ask you, what would be your small and simple suggestion for us that we can do this week to gain a friendship and a personal relationship with our Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm going to give two, if that's okay. Yes. I think for the listener, I I, I feel like I've been in two places at different times. If you feel like you're in a place where you haven't heard him calling, maybe ever, or maybe in a while, I want to invite you this week to kneel down and, and ask to feel that and ask to know that you matter to him and that he is calling to you. I promise that if you're in that situation, he's already calling. He's already knocking at the door and waiting. And there's some reason you're not hearing it. It could be because you don't feel like you're enough. It could be a thousand different reasons because there's been a thousand different times in my life where I haven't heard him as clearly as I would want to. And so go open that door and see what happens. See the little synchronicity, see someone that shows up or some thought that shows up because he's real and he's there and he loves you as much as he loves anyone. And so that's, that's the first invitation. The second, if you're, if you are feeling that, and if you're in the camp that I've been in too often where you're studying, studying, trying to do, 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 I think service for me has been huge to say, Heavenly Father, help. And I love that you just said being his hands. That is the prayer that I have every day now. Just say a prayer to say, how can I be your hands today? And help me to have the courage to do it and not set it aside. The cool thing about when you're God's hands is you get to see his hands too. And it will surprise you as much as it surprises the person you're serving that that those very words come out of someone's mouth, man, you were, you were my savior today. Or I had someone text me, thank you for being his hands. And they didn't know I pray for that every day. So I, 
act on one of those things and and you'll see he he's already your friend he's already right there he's already right beside you but those are some of the ways that i think you'll be able to see and feel and hear him more and see him as your friend because he's he already is I just love the fact that he is our friend. We don't have to do anything for him to be our friend and we can be his. It was so fun to have you here, Lizzie. If you want more from Lizzie, follow her on Instagram at Lizzie.Jensen, where you can join her in her weekly hashtag Savior Sunday Studies. And don't forget to join us over on Instagram at Magnify Community. And of course, subscribe and listen to the Magnify podcast wherever you get your shows. Thanks for being here and let's meet up again next week.